Welcome to the I Believe Podcast, an Acure Insight production, brought to you by Castle Biosciences. I'm your host, Danae Peterson, a fellow ocular melanoma survivor. Here on the podcast, we'll be sharing information and insights on treatments, research, and living with ocular melanoma. Castle Biosciences is a proud sponsor of this I Believe podcast. Castle Biosciences tests are designed to provide clinicians precise and personalized tumor information for the benefit of patient care. If you would like more information about how Castle is transforming the treatment of eye cancer, visit castletestinfo.com. If you're not familiar with Movember, Movember is a time when uh, the Movember movement has started. And, and it basically just is this movement in the, the men's awareness, like men's health awareness, men's mental health awareness to grow a mustache in honor of Movember. So congratulations, Greg, you have officially qualified for Movember. Good deal. Good deal. Um, good deal. But it's, it's this idea of like starting the conversation around men, around men's health. And for those of us diagnosed with ocular melanoma, we know that one of the most popular, um, common, not popular, one of the most common demographics of people who are diagnosed are men over the age of, I think, 50 is kind of the, the most popular diagnosed age. I think we're starting to see a trend in that shifting some, but we are grateful to have someone who is here. And honestly, because Greg was diagnosed, you know, almost 10 years ago, nine and a half years ago, he is probably someone who was diagnosed, I guess we're going to get to that in a minute, but he was diagnosed at a younger age um, than I would say you're definitely, you're definitely younger than 50 when you were initially diagnosed. So before we get into his interview and before we talk to Greg about his story and kind of the things that he's learned over this past while, let me just run through a couple quick announcements. First, we just want to say thank you so much to everyone who showed up for the last three um, walks for melanoma, the looking for a cure for ocular melanoma. We had one in Phoenix, we had one in Dallas-Fort Worth, and we had one in Santa Monica um, within the last month and a half or so. And they've all gone really well, um, especially for being kind of those first of their area. And just, we hope you guys will keep an eye out for the future walks, um, looking for a cure for ocular melanoma. So those are coming up. We have lots of them planned for next year. So hopefully you'll find one in your area and you can come and participate. Second main announcement, the I Believe recordings from the I Believe seminar 2022 in Nashville, Tennessee, are being uploaded to YouTube as well as the podcast. Um, the podcast should be fully uploaded by the end of this week. The YouTube should be coming by the end of today, tomorrow, just as long as I get the last video that I'm waiting for. So we're really excited that we have those recordings accessible. We hope you'll take a listen if you didn't get the chance to listen to all of the sessions that you wanted to. Um, we hope that you will listen to those sessions and just learn as much as you can because being your own advocate starts with educating yourself and educating your friends and family. So encourage them to listen to, to learn with you. And we hope that you guys find those helpful. Please reach out to us if you have any questions at contact at acureinsight.org. And last thing is we have Giving Tuesday coming up. So social media fundraisers are one of the most powerful ways that we can essentially like just create awareness and create a movement and obviously raise funds for ocular melanoma. Since we are rare, like we have to be our own advocates. That means we have to we have to be willing to put ourselves out there. We have to be willing to get uncomfortable and say, hey, this is important to me. Please donate to what's important to me because you're a member of my community and I would love for your support. Um, just to give you guys a simple number, if a thousand patients, which I know there's a thousand patients who are on Facebook because we have 4,000 of them who follow our Facebook page. Um, if a thousand patients each raised $100, 
do the math. That's a hundred thousand dollars. A hundred thousand dollars is roughly enough to get a good solid research project started that is actually moving forward um, in research and affecting patients lives today. So that's what we want. We want to see that happen. That doesn't happen unless we as patients are advocating for ourselves and pushing for awareness and pushing for funds to be raised for ocular melanoma and just trusting that even if a thousand of us just raise something small, that it still has the potential to really, um, really just benefit everyone. And I could be doing the math wrong there. I'm like, now I'm like sitting there in my head. I'm like, is that true? But I feel like I did the math on my calculator yesterday. And I swear it was a thousand people times a hundred dollars made a hundred thousand dollars. So I could be wrong. Maybe it's $10,000, but regardless, it can be a lot of money if we all like participate on some small level. Uh, so for giving Tuesday, giving Tuesday is a little funky right now because Facebook is a little wonky. Um, all the nonprofits don't have access to Facebook fundraising until Facebook reapproves it for everyone. So right now you can't for sure make a Giving Tuesday fundraiser on Facebook. We're hoping that changes in the next two weeks. If it doesn't, we have a backup plan and that is the I Give movement through Charity Footprints. Um, Charity Footprints is a super easy site to use. You're just gonna go to www.charityfootprints.com slash I as in eyeball, I give. Um, so I will post that link in the comments so you guys have that. But I hope you guys will make one of those and just share it with your friends and family and just set the goal to raise at least $100. If all of us did that, I think we could make a huge impact. Okay, that's all I have for you today. Thanks for listening. Um, I am going to bring on and just make sure that we introduce our speaker here today. This is Greg, um, Greg Hobbs, and he is from Oklahoma City. And he is actually new to the ocular melanoma community in the sense that when he was diagnosed, he didn't really have access to social media or um, a desire to be on social media. That all changed in like the summer of this year when his daughter got him on social media for some other purposes and he ended up finding our page and talking to me and sharing his story and I've just been so impressed with everything that he shared. Um, so I want to just introduce you guys to Greg. Welcome, Greg. Hi, welcome. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Been a fabulous, fabulous day today. Um, so can you tell us a little about, you know, your initial diagnosis? Like how old were you when you were diagnosed nine and a half years ago? Just so we can kind of get a point of reference. Uh, nine and a half years, I was 40 years old. Um, basically kind of just not really thinking about anything, just living my life and ended up actually, uh, started, it started looking weird. It looked like the tin on your windshield, basically. I thought that's kind of different. But then when I'd close my right eye, the door frames would have like a peak look to it. So it kind of made us weird. So that next day we decided, hey, let's go to the doctor, see what's going on. You know, looks weird. I don't want anything going wrong. So he looked at it, dilated. He first thought it was just kind of a hole where bub bubbles were coming through, messing up my vision and stuff. So he sent me to a specialist just to make sure the next day and we went there. Uh, I think it was Dr. Nanda, I think is who it is. Uh, and like I said, with <laughs> me being younger, it was sitting in that waiting room was a little different because everybody around me was older and everything. So it was like, well, this, am I supposed to be here? Is this where I'm supposed to be? And everything like that also. Uh, but once we got back there, got it taken care of, it kind of, uh, he kind of looked, did the exam, looked at it, saw it, looked at us a couple of times and just basically said, hey, uh, what you have is ocular melanoma. Kind of explained the two options. One was the plaque therapy or inoculation. He says, I want yours out by tomorrow kind of freaked me and my wife out, you know, wanting this out by tomorrow and we're just getting here and stuff. Cause so it kind of hit us pretty hard and, uh, yeah, kind of freaked sure. out. So we decided, Hey, we get a second opinion. So we thought about it over the weekend 
and you know kind of look into research and here and there you kind of look at it and as i look back at it now is when i'm looking was looking at it you know you read this stuff and you see some of the stuff and it it looks scary because you know all this different thing people passing away people not you know just it just was scary so we were kind of freaking out a little bit me i quit looking at the internet because i didn't want to read anymore i just want to do what happened get it done and over with and then i guess monday we went to another specialist he said no no he, he knows what he's doing i i agree exactly with him went to a surgeon on tuesday to talk to them wednesday had it out so within seven days it was from me seeing it to inoculation it was all over and done basically no, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's absolutely insane. Like sometimes the timeline, especially yeah. for those um, abrupt enucleations where where it is large enough that it's it's a high level threat. Basically, um, it's like no, no, no. This is urgent. We don't we don't have a whole lot of time. But but I am impressed with one one of the things that you said, which was that you guys took the information and said, okay, we hear you, <laughs> but we still want a second opinion. And right. I think that especially in that initial diagnosis phase, that can be one of the scariest things to admit to yourself is to say, okay, right. you know, I need the second opinion. My doctor may disagree with me. My doctor may want me to have this out. Like you said, they wanted it out the next day after they initially found it. Well, right. you as the patient get to be the driver of your care. And that's right. so important to recognize is that, you know, as much as these doctors have this sense of urgency and it's a real sense of urgency, we do still have time to sit with the news, you know, to really make an educated decision, um, even if it's even if it's framed as this is so urgent, you need to do this now. Um, so I think just just taking note of the fact that that is still possible, even when you're given the news of I want the eye out tomorrow, um, that can be really powerful as far as just just absorbing the news and just, and just making an educated decision with with treatment. Um, so thank you for sharing that. I feel like that's, that's really important. Um, so that like, obviously has been crazy and, and that was initially, I'm sure a huge thing to adjust to. Um, so let's touch, touch really fast on, um, how did your family adjust? You know, like you had kids that were younger. Now you have kind of younger adult children. What was, what was kind of going on in life then? And how did you and your family kind of figure this out? Um, it was just, we were just kind of going with it. Uh, when everybody kind of found out, we kind of got together and just kind of, you know, here's what's happening, what's going on. And, you know, it wasn't really a, you know, scary feeling, I guess, for, you know, them. It was just kind of, okay, let's, we're going to do this. You know, let's get together, get behind you, whatever we need to do, thoughts, prayers, spread out, you know, spread the word, whatever we need to do. And just kind of, they were back behind the whole time because, you know, they, they just knew that, you know, we're going to go through this. We're going to get through this. We, you know, gone through bad things here and there but you know we we, we made it through and it, it's kind of nice because now you know reflect back onto it you know they they were there the whole time you know it didn't it didn't fret about it didn't show that they were scared to me in front of me or anything like that so it kind of helped me get through what i was going through at that time oh for sure well i think that's i mean that's just an interesting thing um just because you know having i i know we talked about how i have really young kids and how like for them like nothing is really different like mommy's still the right. same like right. and and i think for you too like i i like what you said about how like it's almost reassuring for you when your family members just take it in the stride and are just like okay like we're doing this like there's there's no like right. resistance to it it's just like this is new life and right. would we have chosen it differently if we could have chosen maybe but like but generally, you know, the way that we get through this together is, is we all are present with what's happening. Um, 
So talk to us a little about, um, and I'm, I'm going to kind of lead with maybe the more negative feeling of this, but just okay. because I feel like this is, this is what um, a lot of patients tend to veer toward. So tell us, what do you feel like your diagnosis has kept you from doing in life, if anything? Not really. I mean, being a NASCAR driver, I mean, I, I, the way I looked at it is, you know, I just wanted to not and make it to where I, I couldn't do anything. I wanted to do everything I was able to do before, do, you know, now, because, I mean, I still have all my arms, still have all my legs. I could still see, still hear. So for me, it was just getting back to life, you know, going into it, uh, hitting, you know, with stride and just say, hey, I, I, this is what happened. Okay, we'll deal with it. Let's move on and just keep moving with it because, I mean, the more I dwelled on it or anything like that, it just kind of makes you kind of go back, you know, think about it. Think, why, why, why? You know, well, it just happened, so you can't really do anything about it. You you just got to keep moving forward, you know, one step in front of the other and just and just live it because, I mean, you got your life still to live. I mean, you're still here and you can still do what you need to do and everything you need to do with it. No, I love that. You're still here. Like, focus on that. Like, you're still here. Right. Um. So what are some of the good things that you feel like kind of the gifts, um, despite all of the obstacles that you've dealt with, despite losing vision um, and being monocular, having to adjust to a prosthetic, like what are some of the gifts that have come as a result of the last nine and a half years? I think the the fact that you, I have a good circle around me. I mean, you, you kind of, things like this happen, you're not sure, but then you see once this happens, your, your family, your friends, people who don't know you that know people of you, kind of rally around you and kind of back, hey, what do you need? Anything you need? Can, can I help you with this? What needs to be done? You know, kind of come over the house. We had friends come over, mowed my yawn, lawn when you know I was down and stuff like that. You know, they didn't have to do that, but they came over and, and did that for me. You know, at the same time, all this was happening. Also, when I got home, we got a new, our dishwasher went out and our fridge went out. So we were getting that installed at the same time while I'm sitting here. So my wife's having to deal with all this at the same time with me back there laying around doing much of nothing at the same time also. But yeah, it's just the fact that it's a good, strong circle around me. That, that always helps because you can lean on somebody. You can talk to somebody about something or anything like that just to get something off your chest that they may have a different view because it didn't happen to them. So it, it kind of makes it to where you can kind of talk to people and get their opinion on how things are or anything like that. And then the other good thing is just the fact that now that I've had it and I've survived through it, that I can spread the word about it, uh, let other people know about it. You know, I'm always talking about it at work hard time here and there anywhere i go anything like that i'm always you know talking about it you know telling people about it hey make sure you're dilating your eyes make sure that you know, just kind of getting that word out to help out anybody else that is going through the same thing i am i love that that's such a powerful honestly that's such a powerful powerful perspective to take um and i think that something that you know we can we can draw attention to here is that everyone's going to get there at different points and so right. you know you're nine and a half years into this and this has become extremely important to you and I don't know if you could define exactly how long it's been important to you, but I would guess that there was a period of adjusting where you really had to kind of be inside and just focus on you, focus on healing. Right. And then right. it was after you kind of got through the initial shock of everything, whether that was three months, six months, six years, then we get to a point where we do get to that place as patients where we say, okay, I'm ready to like talk about this more. And, um, and I think just recognizing that that timeline is going to be different for everyone and that it's going to look different and feel different for everyone is so important. Um, so thank you for like, just kind of explaining how that happened for you. Cause I feel like that's really helpful to see. Um, so you mentioned like your big support and just the, the support of your friends, your family, and how you felt really just buoyed up by that. Um, 
have you felt like that support has looked different at the maybe the first couple of years of your diagnosis versus now? Or do you feel like for you it feels largely the same? I think it's about, I mean, I would say between the same and more because now that they've kind of, you know, with me talking about a lot more and going through it a lot more and stuff like that, it just, they've also spread the word also. So for me, it was just, mm -hmm. uh, I think it's, it's grown more and more because, you know, you know, my family talks about it to other people, you know, this and that, you know, I, I got friends come over, they got kids, take it out, take it out. No, I'm not taking it out today. It'll be, we'll do it another day. You know, they, so they're all excited and stuff. So just the spread of the word and, you know, get it out there. It, I think it's, it's, it's grown as it gone along, you know, it was big then, but as it's gone, I think it's just kind of the family's grown more because, you know, the more people we tell about it, the more people get out about it. It just kind of spreads a little bit more. So I think it's kind of grown as it's went along a little bit more throughout it. Well, and I think that's that's an important thing to, to note, too, is that like when you talk about it as the patient and, and you get outside of yourself and you talk about the vulnerable things, you talk about um, what you're going through and you just are real with people and tell them this is what right. it's like. This is how I'm feeling right now. Um, this is what I'm going through. This is what I need from you. That gives them the opportunity to step up to the plate, so to speak, and to to show up for you in the ways that you need. And I think that that's that's something that's so important. Uh, and I think that Ann Osborne talked about this in her sessions um, in the I Believe conference. But you know, if you have friends and family, your support system, telling them what you need as you are figuring that out and communicating, uh, as well as continuing to just be vulnerable and tell them, and, and not feeling like you have to you know hide it if you're struggling right. or if you're having a hard day. Um, Walk on to, to feel like you have those safe people. Yeah, exactly. It it can really make a big difference in how that support circle grows and how it evolves with you over time. Um, and right. I know I feel like I've had that experience just in like talking with my own family. And the more the more that I'm able to open up with them, the more I feel supported by them. And it's right. um, it's kind of one of those things where you know if I if I don't talk about it, then they don't really know what I need because they don't they don't feel and see everything that I'm going through on the inside. Exactly. Um, so, what is one thing you would tell someone who is brand new to this diagnosis? Like, they just found out they've got to have their eye nucleated in less than a week. They're freaking out. They maybe they've Googled some scary things. Like, what would you tell them if they're brand new to this? Uh, the main thing, I mean, it's going to be a shock. It's going to, I mean, it's it shocked us just sitting there the way, kind of just, just here's what's happened. It's like, wow. I mean, it kind of gets you. Um, and just, I think the best thing is just to have, like I said before, have you a circle around you that you, you can lean on, talk to, you know, hey, this is what's happening, you know, just that way they know what's going on and they can support you, help you if you need it any way or anything like that. But I think that's the, the, the main thing is just have you a good support group around you to help out as much as possible because, I mean, <clears throat> without that, it, it makes it a lot harder. You have to deal with it yourself. You can't talk to anybody. You can't say anything to anybody. You just kind of keep it to yourself and just kind of go from there with it. So I think the biggest thing is make sure you'll have a group around you. I mean, yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll get you. Cause it, I mean, our stomachs dropped. It's like, what, what, wait a minute, cancer, what, what, you know, how, you know, and he, the way he talked, it was one of the bigger ones he'd seen. So for me, it was like, oh, this is, you know, this is pretty scary, you know? So just mm -hmm. to be able to talk to somebody, Hey, let's, here's what's happening. Here's what's going on. You know, well, what do you think? You know, just that way you have somebody to talk to about it. That way it's not just you having to go through it yourself. You got somebody else to help out with you throughout it. Love that. Um, so what are some ways that you have found just having, having had one eye enucleated, what are some ways that you found to just have fun? Like with this diagnosis, um, despite everything else, 
that you've kind of gone through? Um, I know we talked a little bit about like Halloween, like what are kind of some of the ways that you feel like you cope with this um, in a positive, um, helpful way? The way the way I looked at it is, you know, if I, I got down on myself, everybody, people around me, like I said, we're walking on eggshells. Hey, I'm sorry. You know, I, I didn't want that because I wanted to be able to live life and go with it. So I, I have fun with it as much as possible. I mean, I've got a, you know, my eyeball shirt on today. <laughs> so I wear it quite a bit, you know, Halloween's fun. I'll take it out and, you know, scare kids and stuff like that. And just have a little fun with it anytime I can. Um, I even uh, had my uh, person that made the prosthetic put a little secret number on the side of it. One of my favorite numbers. So I had her, so I have as much fun with it as I can, you know, I always tease about getting the eye like Terminator or stuff like that. And they always laugh. So I, you got to have fun with it as much as possible because it, it just, it, it it does it's it's not a fun thing to go through but the more you have fun with it the people around you it's not just oh poor you and well should i say this should I say... right and I've, I've still people i work you know i i some new people coming through you know like a couple weeks down the road i'll mention something they're like what what so i'll tell them about it and then they're like what i didn't even realize is it well you know i don't tell a lot but because it's just and then once i start talking about it i'll tell this and that and i'll bring out pictures and this and that and everything so like I said, it, it's just fun to have fun with it because, like I said, it wasn't a fun diagnosis. It wasn't fun to go through. But now that I'm through it and I'm surviving with it, you know, it's just you have to almost make light of it, I guess, in, in a way. and Just kind of go with it as you go along. Yeah, for sure. Um, so what do you feel like are some ways that you advocate for yourself now that maybe are different than when um, when you were initially diagnosed? Like what are what are some things you've learned, I guess, about self-advocacy? Um, in the doctor's room and scans, like all of those things. Uh, I think it's just the fact that I, I talk about it a lot more. You know, it's just it for me. You know, just keeping it to myself and not you know doing anything for me. It's just I just talk a lot about it. Uh, you know, I'm always mentioning I here, or I that, or you know, anything like anything like that. It just kind of makes it easier to get through it. Uh, back then, it was you know we talked here and there about it. I think it took about about a year before I really can really just settle in with it because it's still my my body was adjusting to it showing sure with everything uh depth session wasn't the greatest and it just kind of went with it so i, I just had to have adjust with it and as it went along a little further on i was more able to talk about it more get out with it and more um and more you know just be out there with it and just kind of let it all out there that way nobody everybody knows the story and they don't have to go through what i go through or even worse you know not even make it through the whole situation no for sure um, so you have had scans, um, I'm going to assume at a, just a regular rate, um, but right. because of when you were diagnosed, I'm going to also guess that you were not able to have a biopsy done. Um, at least not like the castle biopsy that's currently exists. Uh, they sent it off to get biopsied on it. So, and it, uh, I think they said it was a I've read, it was a T4A is, I think. Okay. So you probably had the, the biopsy that is, um, I can't remember who does it, but I, I think it's done by, by Carol Shields. It was kind of the initial biopsy that was done. Um, right. So with that kind of information, how often were you having scans? Um, I'm kind of assuming you still have scans, but maybe just less frequently now. It's less frequently. When, when it first happened, it was every six months. And then after a couple of years, it went to once a year and then it kind of faded off. And so it's kind of faded off to where Every, every three to four years, we'll go back and get another scan on it just to make sure everything's good to go and it's still clear to go and everything. But it was initially yeah, for, sure. for, and just that alone, you know, the scans were just kind of, you know, scary too, because you're not sure there's something going to show up, you know? So you're mm -hmm. thinking that in your head also in the back of your mind, you're, you're, you're pretty sure nothing is, but you never know because you're, you know, you can't tell with some of this, just like my eye, I didn't know what was happening until all of a sudden it was there. 
so you just don't know what happened so scans was kind of scary for a little while now it's gotten to where it's okay you know let's go do this whatever happens i've got somebody behind me let's let's just do this and get it over with that way if it does happen we can start on it and get going with it no exactly and i think that's um kind of like you were talking about earlier like it it gets easier over time and that time is such an important factor and i think also just just having you here is it, it helps people to see that that time is still something we can, you know, we can hope for despite mm-hmm. all of all of the crazy things and all of the statistics and all of the numbers that are out there. Like you still get to hope for time and, and trust that, you know, you don't, you don't have to be the exception to living right. a long life um, right. despite this diagnosis. All right. Well, what, what about depth perception? Like what are some things that you have been able to do in life um, despite kind of this depth perception adjustment that you've had to deal with um what's something you made a big priority well with me before this all happened i I played a lot of disc golf um as it went through it happened and then i thought okay how's this going to work out with the disc golf because it is a game of depth perception and distances so with me (laughs) losing an eye it kind of made it to where all right this should be interesting uh, about probably about three weeks, four weeks after it all happened and stuff, I was able to get out and kind of mess around. And I, and I started thinking this is kind of a, for me, it was a way to get out of the house. <clears throat> also, it also helped me work on my distances, my deaths and stuff like that, because you have your different distance. And I've got, you know, a different, like say a putt, you know, 20 foot, I try to put it. I've got to make sure my distance. So I get that. And it also helps in life also be on the road because, you know, okay, I remember that was so long. And when I'm putting, oh, this is only this far here when I'm going to do the, you know, to the store or i can see it right over there so it makes it the terrain made it nicer that way i can work on it also because still now if i'm jumping off a little wall or something like that it still feels like it's further because i look down it's not so it, when it hits it's like oh i'm already here so just getting out there play that i play quite a bit of it just to get out there and, and use that depth perception as much as possible it's kind of funny playing a game of distances as with depth perception but i've i've done it and i'm, I'm i say i'm pretty good at it and you know i've sure you know done pretty well at it as i'd say well, that's that's really cool. Um, I know we talked about how I played I played disc golf, except my husband and I called it frisbee golf. Which you're like, that's not quite the that's like the the newer way of, of labeling it. Right. But the oldies, uh, the not the oldies, the um, uh, what's the phrase? The dedicated members of the disc golf community. Um, you guys call it disc golf. So, so share like, can you just share a little about you know what drove you to social media? Like, obviously you weren't really on social media before, so why? Why social media now? Yeah, uh, ended up. Um, I went to uh, there was a big tournament in Iowa uh, called the State Games of America, um, where you have to qualify a year ahead of time, and then once that comes the next year, then people from all over the state come and they play in a tournament. Well, I'd practiced and played and stuff like that. And another thing with a support group, you know, I wasn't planning on going, but then I had a bunch of my drivers at work get you know, raise money for me to be able to go. So that, I mean, that's just how to kind of support, you know, people you have behind you a lot. Um, so we were able to get up there. I played in it, ended up getting a third uh, place, got the bronze medal. So I was pretty happy about that, not being able to see and doing that with the depth perception and stuff. But then a few days later, my daughter said, hey, why don't we get on Instagram? You know, might as well, you know, if you want to look towards any kind of sponsorship or even just get out there and play and just show that you're playing anything like that, let's get on there. So I think October, August 3rd, I think it was, I got, got on there for my first time, you know, got my picture, took my eye out, took a picture of it, you know, uh, one eye fly guy is my Instagram handle. So I kind of went with the one eye fly guy with the disc and stuff. So I made it kind of fun and everything. So 
and it kind of got me on there. And the more I'm on there, I can kind of see, you know, I like to spread the word that I have when I am playing this, this, this sport of distances, because that way it shows that I can get out there and still do normal stuff. Not, you know, I have to hold back or anything like that. So it's kind of helped quite a bit with that going on also. So it's fun. Cause you know, a lot of people don't know until after I'm done, Hey, by the way, I've got one. What you done all this with one eye. Yeah. Well, dang, I wish I could have done that with one eye, but you know, I said, no, you don't, but but yeah, it's just fun to get out there. It's and like, play. yeah, you actually don't wish for this, but um, yes, thank no, you no. for the compliment. <laughs> <laughs> right. So yeah, I've used it. You know, like I said, I've got on there quite a bit, and just kind of, and the more I looked at it, I thought, you know, I'm going to use it for both raising awareness for ocular melanoma that because people don't, a lot of people don't know about it still. So the more I kind of get the word out there that, and plus my my disc also, and I've also, I've got a few people that I've saw that they've kind of done their support they've i've heard stories from people that oh my dad lost his eye back when so and so or had cancer back and so so it's kind of neat to hear these other stories of other people that you know with me getting out there more that they've told me about their lives also i think that's really cool that like just again you know social media can be such a connective place and um, even for you who's you know less than six months into using social media you've already experienced that um and I just want to highlight just again that I think we talked about this briefly, but you had mentioned that you've never had the chance to talk face to face with someone with the same diagnosis. Um, so this is, this is your first time, like talking with someone else who has gone through this diagnosis too. Um, obviously, I have not been uh, in the place of having my eye enucleated, which we talked about, but, but I know what it's like to have one eye. And I know what it's like to have that lack of depth perception and have to adjust and all of those different things. So I hope that this has been a powerful experience for you. Um, I feel like just your example of, of the way that, that you've shared your story and the way that you have um, been able to talk about this and, and the kind of the learning points and, and moments that you've had along the way that you've been able to share with us, I, I think will be really helpful to people. It's um, a curve. It is a learning curve on it because you don't know how you know, each person's different also. So just kind of get my story out there. Maybe it might help somebody else, you know, like, well, I can do that. I should be able to do that. I mean, you, you just got to keep going with it and not get down on yourself. Just, you know, live your life, basically what you want to do. No, I love that. Well, Greg, thank you so much for being here. Um, I guess the only last thing that I want to say is what would you say to some of the other guys in the community who are maybe more hesitant about being on social media for any reasons, or they're just not really sure what to say? Um, what would you say would be a good starting place for them just from your experience? For me, I, I, we caught up, we always said that the Facebook was the devil. So we never got on that one. So it was just like, <laughs> we, you know, I, I think Instagram's a good one to get on to just because of the fact you can kind of communicate with people and kind of go with that and just get out there and talk to people about it. You know, if you're not sure about it or anything, you know, reach out to somebody that has, or has gone through a little bit more or listen to their story. I've read quite a few stories on uh, the Acure Insight type thing. Some of them, you know, people, what they've gone through and stuff. And it, there are so many different types of ways that they've coped with everything. So, you know, maybe my, my way may not be the same way that you want to cope with it, but find a way that you can cope with it. And like I said, always get you a good circle around you. That That's the biggest thing is have you a good, you know, circle behind you to help you out as much as possible. If you need anything to lean on or anything like that, just to talk to you. Oh, great. Greg, thank you so much. Um, thank you for just what you shared and for your time today. Thank you so much for joining us today on the I Believe podcast brought to you by Castle Biosciences. Please be sure to subscribe. And if you're so inclined, send this episode over to friends, family and share on your social media to help spread awareness around OM. If you have a moment, 
leave us a brief review, or consider making a donation to the links in the show notes to keep our podcast going. Feel free to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Acure Insight. We'll see you next time on the I Believe podcast.